So first of all, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I just want to get started with kind of a fun question. So my question to you is, what is the best way that you de-stress your mind and your body? And Welcome to the podcast. My name is Anna Marie Boyd, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, a registered drama therapist, a registered yoga teacher, and a PhD candidate in mind-body medicine with a specialization in integrative mental health. My podcast offers nuggets of information regarding innovative and somatic approaches to mental health treatment. In just 10 minutes each episode, or above that, we're going to learn about topics such as creative therapies, neuroscience, and play mind-body connection, and alternative approaches to psychotherapy. So without further ado, we're going to hand it over to the interview of the day. The interview is with Mr. Stephen Cochran. He is a biofeedback and neurofeedback expert based out of Houston. He is the owner and clinical director of the Neurotherapy Center of Houston, where he provides neurofeedback services for people of all ages and a wide range of conditions. Mr. Cochran has done some really incredible work through nonprofits and working um, in school-based neurofeedback um, settings, um, as well as he is a pioneer in addictions research utilizing neurofeedback. So he is going to give us a touch of what neurofeedback is, what it consists of, what we can expect from it, and maybe resources to do our own uh, research into neurofeedback. So I'm so excited and we're going to jump right into the interview for the day. and you are listening to Moved by Grace Counseling Radio. And whether that's gardening or, you know, work, just working on things outside or taking a bike ride or taking a walk, uh, being outside, getting in touch with the natural world um, is very calming to my system. That is wonderful to hear and very reminiscent of uh, one thing I have discovered <laughs> and I feel like it's probably not uh, that revolutionary, but walking meditation is something that I have uh, found a lot of value in myself over just the past year. Um, so yeah, being outdoors and just embracing the sunshine and uh, the nature around you, that sounds so nice. You know, any time that you are doing coordinated right-left movement, biking, walking, swimming, running, um, crawling, um, it it ties up some functions um, in the motor strip, and that actually reduces anxiety and reduces OCD symptoms and reduces worry temporarily while you're doing those things. Um, even knitting, um, my daughter knits and mm-hmm. it lowers her anxiety and she can pay better attention when she knits. Um, those are, those are ways where, you know, if you knew how the brain worked, you know, you could use it naturally to try to, to, you know, make the system run better. Absolutely. I, that reminds me, I was talking to a clinician the other day and one of his favorite coping strategies with his clients is to do a minute long plank. 
he's like, regardless of where they are in their dysregulation, when they're planking in that position, you can only focus on that. Uh, so if I'm uh, interpreting you correctly, it sounds like anything that you have to be fully focused and present with calms your nervous system. That's true. But what I was actually saying was that more than that, mm-hmm. uh, coordinated Um, When you coordinate the right and left sides of the motor strip uh, in action, in physical motor activity, it actually actually ties up some of the the activity um, that is going on in the anterior cingulate that drives some worry and OCD kind of symptoms and anxiety. So you can actually lower your anxiety level by doing coordinated right-left motor activity, which, you know, would be taking a walk or riding a bike or swimming or um, you know anything that involves that coordination Um, even knitting like I said um, will will lower temporarily lower your anxiety so if you're caught in a loop Mm -hmm. of rumination thinking 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 um, and you want to break it go for a walk Hmm. Um, it's it's simple most people have feet Um, you know you can get out and and uh, take a walk pretty simply and um, you'll you'll probably feel better. That's a fantastic, just tangible tool for when you're noticing patterns or cycles and and need some kind of um, uh, change to your system to really focus on those right and left coordinated activities. So that's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, One thing I was... um, curious about is I actually just took a course in biofeedback, which I found to be really, really invigorating and exciting um, in terms of teaching my clients how their bodies function. And I guess I'm curious to know more specifically about neurofeedback, what it is and what an elevator pitch might be. Okay. Well, I usually start by talking about biofeedback and biofeedback is anytime you are presented with information from your body that you are not normally aware of with the goal of changing that activity. So for instance, if I showed you your heart rate, we could learn how to calm that heart rate or elevate that heart rate Mm -hmm. if you wanted. Um, Neurofeedback is a type of biofeedback, but it uses brainwave activity. So I'm going to put wires on your head and I'm going to select spots that I'm going to work with you on um, based on a quantitative EEG that I might do. Some people call it brain map. And I will put wires on your head and feed back to you in real time. There's there's no electricity put in you. It's just listening to the activity, the brain activity is coming through your skull. Mm-hmm. Most people are surprised to see that it comes through your skull mm-hmm. um, and that you can measure it and show it on a screen in real time. And then you can coach and guide someone to be able to change that activity. And you know, everything we do in our life creates um, strengthened circuits in our brain. Things that we do repetitively create really strong circuits in our brain, neural networks. And neural networks just represent use, just like going to the exercise builder, going to the gym, you know, uh, builds muscle. So you can tell you went to the gym because over time you're growing muscle. Mm-hmm. If you use uh, circuits over and over again, uh, they get stronger. 
Well, if you have a dysfunctional pattern, we want to stop using that grip of circuits and we want to do it a different way. We want to create a new pattern and then we want to practice that pattern repeatedly um, until that circuit gets strong. And then you might be able to calm your own anxiety level. Wow. Then you might then you might be able to regulate your mood. Um, there's a whole lot of disorders that come down to mood regulation disorders. Um, they present as all kinds of things, but mood regulation is at the heart of a lot of things. And if somebody says, for instance, attachment disorder, one of the things you're really looking at is a mood regulation disorder. Mm. And so you can actually learn how to better regulate your mood through neurofeedback. Wow. So I imagine like any type of therapy that this um, varies person to person, but is there a typical um, timeline for neurofeedback or is it just um, gauging the EEG uh, session to session? Um, I start with a quantitative EEG okay. um, a recording. Um, I create maps from it, um, essentially crunch that data into statistics and make maps that show how many standard deviations from normative you are on a huge variety of functions. And what I want to figure out is why your symptoms present the way that they do. Not just what are your symptoms. You know, if you go to the psychiatrist, it's what are your symptoms? Oh, these are the medications we use for those symptoms. Right. I want to, I want to look at it and I even work with some psychiatrists in town um, because I do quantitative EEGs and I can discuss with them if you used this medication, it would speed up this part of the brain, but it would also negatively affect this other part of the brain because this other part is already running too fast. Mm. And so that might not be a good choice for you. But I can actually work with you on calming the, the part of your brain that is over-aroused or revving up the part of, that is under-aroused or trying to get you to regulate your mood. Um, I work with a lot of kids that are, are diagnosed as ADHD Okay. And uh, that's that's how I got started with the work was doing research. I was uh, hired to be a lead investigator for a research project that uh, uh, was working with third graders, eight-year-olds who are who were already diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. uh, in a school setting. And uh, uh, you can teach those kids how to focus, but it's not all one thing. The diagnosis is, you know, do you meet these criteria and do you rise to enough severity level to be diagnosed as ADHD? But it doesn't tell you anything about what's going on in the brain. Mm. And what we want to know is, why are you presenting these ADHD symptoms? Are you the frontal slowing model, meaning your frontal lobes work too slowly? And those people respond pretty well to stimulant medication. Okay. But you could have someone else, the next the next biggest chunk of people who are uh, diagnosed ADHD are actually anxious. Mm. And if you give them a stimulant, they get more anxious. Yeah. Um, and that would be okay if you, if you then backed off the anxiety medication or the, the stimulant. But unfortunately, once you're anxious and you make yourself more anxious through stimulant medications, if you remove the stimulant medication, the anxiety stays because there's a habituated side to anxiety and you have learned to be more anxious. Um, so it's, you need to know what you're doing before you give kids medication. Uh, and in most 
pediatricians now feel comfortable giving medication where they used to refer to a psychiatrist um, and, and it's a dangerous kind of a, of a thing because we're medicating things just based on oh you have these symptoms you take these medications um, the the third group is actually a sensory integration issue group and they have sensory integration issues that have been there since they were little children mm -hmm. you can ask their moms and their moms had to cut the tags out of their clothes mm. because those tags irritated them. Yeah. Um, high, high number of them had uh, allergies to, to milk-based formulas and other kinds of sensitivity issues yeah. as a child. Those sensitivity issues create you know, ADHD symptoms. Um, and I can work directly with the part of the brain, the parietals that um, drive sensory integration issues try to get them working better and so it's, it's just a different way to look at um, therapeutic work uh, than the than the traditional model it really is so fascinating and it makes so much sense of you know why would I almost asked the question why wouldn't we look at the brain activity before offering certain medications just for those preventative measures of we want to make sure that we are um, di uh, treating the correct um, symptoms here. Um, so it, it really, um, it sounds like it's such important work um, and it's a missing component in a lot of treatment. It's, it's getting, um, getting it right is really important. Mm -hmm. And um, you're, you're talking about kids yeah. and they're in a developing, they're, you know, they're still growing their brain. They're in a developing period where um, what you do really matters and, and getting the problems solved early matters mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they're going to go on and develop all kinds of other issues because of their ADHD. Mm -hmm. They're going to have self-esteem issues if you let it go on too long. They're going to have behavioral issues. They're, you know, they're going to have higher rates of drug use. They're, you know, all kinds of issues mm -hmm. if you don't address it. Um, but that's not the only thing. That's how I got into to neurofeedback was, you know, through the lens of ADHD. Um, I actually started my um, therapeutic work working with sexually abused children. And what that has translated into these days is that I work with a lot of adults who are adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse and have fairly complex trauma presentations. Yeah. And I use a combination of talk therapy and uh, neurofeedback because I can get them to calm their nervous systems and regulate their mood, which is always a problem in complex trauma. And we can make more progress in talk therapy because they have a calm mood. Wow. It really reminds me of um, actually the last interview that I had was somebody who worked on the documentary on Netflix called Procession about um, a group of men who were abused by a, um, a priest in their childhoods and they actually use drama therapy as a way to start to approach some of this trauma um, but I, I guess my mind is just spinning on how um, impactful it might be to incorporate this work as a complement um, to that as well. So I guess I'm curious if for our listeners, if they have an interest in pursuing neurofeedback, if they want to learn more, where would you point them? I would say um, start with, um, there's a, a website called BCIA, 
It's the Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. And their website is bcia.org. They can use the Find a Practitioner uh, uh, tool, put in their zip code and find a practitioner. Um, you're looking for someone with the BCN uh, uh, certification, which is Biofeedback Certification Neurofeedback. Uh, and uh, then they can have somebody who's well enough trained to be to be helping them. Uh, you want to, of course, interview the person that you're going to work with, just like you would interview any therapist that you're about yeah. to work with. And, uh, um, you know, it's the, the hard thing is that there are not enough biofeedback and neurofeedback uh, clinicians out there. Uh, my practice is booming. Uh, it's it's uh, at this point it's getting difficult to get into into my practice mm -hmm. uh, but people don't stay with me forever it's not like you know some talk therapists have clients that last forever uh, people come and work with me and that could be anything from you know 30 weeks to uh, a few years if you have very complex trauma and then people uh, you know are, are well enough that they stop doing their neurofeedback. Um, and I work very adjunctively with um, uh, other therapists. Uh, it, it's frequent that if you have a, a, talk, a relationship with a talk therapist that's working for you, uh, that I will do the neurofeedback piece and you will continue to work with your talk therapist and your talk therapist, as long as you know the client will sign a, a release for me to talk to the talk therapist, then that works very well, and uh, and and the talk therapist usually finds that they get further in their work uh, with the client because the client is now able to handle more than they used to, and their system is is able to calm itself and not get you know so reactive or defensive when they're trying to process things. Mm -hmm. Wow! Yeah, so they can really complement each other. Oh. Steve, thank you so much for this incredible introduction into biofeedback. I um, I could sit here with you all evening. Um, I just really appreciate your insight and um, what you've shared with us today. Are there any um, final words that you want to make sure that the listeners are aware of or that just feel really important to leave in the space today? What I would say is, is when I started doing neurofeedback, most people viewed it as woo-woo, um, crystals and magic, and it isn't. Um, I have a Bachelor of Science, and um, I come at it from a science-based perspective, and um, you know, we are doing a behavioral treatment, which is you know, behaviorally training you to, to do behavior differently. The behavior just happens to be uh, electrical activity in your brain, mm -hmm. uh, which is also behavior in my world. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I would say, find a good practitioner. Um, there are good practitioners, and um, if you don't like who you're working with, after a couple of sessions, find somebody new. Um, every, everybody, just like anybody who's a therapist, it may not be the right fit for you. Um, and I think there's a lot of progress that can be made for things that, that people probably currently think they have to take medication for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not after everybody getting off their medication, but if you can reduce the number of medications you take or the quantity of medica 
you know, the, the dosage of medication you take or reduce it altogether. Um, you may find that, you know, you don't have to deal with the side effects of medication. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's certainly possible for kids with ADHD, uh, about 80% of them. I think that that's possible for people with uh, milder presentations of anxiety, or mood regulation disorders. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think it's, it's about living a better life and doing it in a way that is is perhaps involves a lot of technology but is really more natural than the medication round well thank you again um it's such an incredible alternative that i think is uh, i surely didn't know about so thank you for sharing more about it and hopefully this leads to some listeners finding some relief with some neurofeedback training as well well thank you for your time and uh, hopefully we will collaborate and talk soon. Happy to talk again. There you have it. That was our interview with Mr. Stephen Cochran. If you are interested in learning more about his offerings or his services, I have included a link to the Neurotherapy Center of Houston down in the show notes as well as with his bio. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we will see you next week for Moved by Grace Counseling Radio.